0: All right, good uh, Good afternoon, good morning, I don't know what time it is, it's a clock. Good morning for 20 minutes, 12 minutes. How are you guys doing today? We're doing woo, I love it, uh, it's the woo church. I appreciate it. Uh, so spoilers again. Uh, we are going to dive in. Uh, today we're going to continue our series on I am who he says I am. Um, you know, it's like I said, we started really on building foundational pieces on like what you need to do daily, uh, what kind of doctrines that are, in, that are common in the church that sh- probably shouldn't be. Uh, but, you know, after so much of that, sometimes just want to sit back and, and just be reminded again of how good God is of how much he loves you, of the plan that he has for you. And so I'm really excited to continue on this series. I think Beloved really kicked it off. Um, And if you guys recall what I said last week, for those of you who were here, those of you who weren't, I'll catch you up real quick. Uh, Beloved is the precursor to all of these words. And so when I'm saying that you're being a child of God, you have to understand that you are a beloved uh, child of God. And uh, I would really encourage, if you weren't here, for context, I I never say this, uh, but listen to the podcast on Beloved. Um, if you missed it, uh, because everything else I'm saying for the rest of these next seven weeks will be building off of that word individually. Um, so we know that when God calls us to be something before him and who he says that we are, um, it's important that we see that and understand that. And the reason why that's so important is because uh, I think the Bible is full of uh, metaphors. Uh, explanations where God says that we are like a child to God. And, and so uh, some of those metaphors could seem contradictory if we don't understand that he's just using that as an analogy to help us understand what it is that he's teaching, right? Uh, so, for instance, he calls us a child of God, born. Jesus says, born of the Spirit and born of God, right? But then later in the Bible, the Bible says that you're an adopted child of God, right? You have the spirit of adoption. Well, that's contradictory, Right. But but see, both of them are just saying that your sonship, they're announcing a specific aspect of your sonship. And uh, so I want to dive into that and we'll really explain some of those differences. But really, I just want you to look to your neighbor and say you're a child of God. I don't have a funny one like I normally do. Uh, look to the other neighbor that apparently is a little less a child of God and tell them that they, too, are a child of God. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for this message uh, that face you made, there's no way you were telling someone they're a child of God. <laughs> I just thought the angriest face in the world. Like, how did that happen? Like, I, I, I wanted to be in that conversation so bad. Um, yeah. uh, I love you guys. I'm really excited. I just want to dive right into this. I just want to dive right into this. And I am excited. So we're going to cover... Okay, so Pastor Zach came and preached in our church. He kicked this series off. Um, and I don't know if you guys know, but when I plan a series out, I like plan it out. Like I'm not making this up as I go. I actually sit down and spend a few hours and like really map it out. So I knew when I got to the child of God message, I wanted to read after a particular section of scripture. And then Pastor Zach preached the whole section of scripture. And so I was like, wow, what a jerk. Like he didn't know he was being a jerk, but what a jerk, you know? like um, And so I'm like looking all over the Bible, trying to take the points that I feel like God gave. I'm like, okay, where else can I put these? And then I was like, forget it. We're going to the same section of scripture. Uh, so something uh, really important though, um, I heard we're going to preach out of the prodigal son or, you know, uh, as some people call him the redeemed heir, right? Because a lot of people like to define you and maybe we define ourselves by our mistakes, Uh, But the child was only a prodigal son for a short amount of time. But he was an heir of the father for all the time before that and all the time after that. Um, And I think it's a really important thing for us to hit on before we even go in. We have a temptation to define ourselves and the people around us by their mistakes. And we need to stop doing that because that in itself is an identity issue. Right? And and so if you don't recognize that you're a child of God, like who? The father would never call the prodigal son the prodigal son. Because prodigal doesn't mean came back. Prodigal means he lived in a bad lifestyle. At least call him the heir that returned, right? Like at least define him by where he is now and not by where he came from. But I think that's really important because if you read the Bible, the Bible never calls in the prodigal son once. That's something that we added later, right? But, it, you know, like same with like blind Bartimaeus. I thought he got healed. Why is it not just Bartimaeus, <laughs> you know, but, but we do that so often and we read and it's become a normal thing that we just accept in the Bible when we're reading it. That when it bleeds into how we interact with God ourselves and how we interact with each other, oh, stay away from that person, that person's poison. Well, maybe because no, no one of, with life has ever walked up to them right, because poison always has an antidote, and the antidote is Jesus, so if you're not full of God, then you can't walk up the poison anyway, so we've got to be filled with something that brings healing, right, and so we've got to stop with this person's bad, and this person's evil, and yeah, sure, people go through seasons where you've got to maybe separate for your own health, but that's a thing in you, I have to get stronger so I can handle this, I can't right now, that's not their weakness, that's mine, and I've got to go to God and say, why am I not strong enough, God prepare me, God build me up, because there was a time when I was coming off of the drugs that I was stuck on that I could not go back into the tunnels without the temptation to return but I'm telling you that today I could walk to the deepest drug dens and I wouldn't even feel the need to receive those things and people told me my whole life you'll be addicted your whole life and five years later I wasn't and people said well you're supposed to still feel the temptation I was like well I don't and so freedom with Christ is complete and I don't define myself as an ex-drug addict I actually define myself as a child of God But maybe that's why I'm not stuck on drugs, because I'm not an ex-drug addict, right? Um, But this is important, because I get mad at any one of you that calls me drug addict Wes. No, that's not who I am. Identity is important. Amen? So let's read about the prodigal son. Uh Uh-oh. I just contradicted everything I said. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 11. Verse 11, um, I know we heard it last week, uh, but let's... Yeah, last week. It was like four weeks ago. I know we heard it like four weeks ago, but let's get excited and get ready because I have almost no intentions of covering anything else that Pastor Zach covered, which is cool because that shows you something really cool about the Bible. When they say it's eight layers deep, it really is. And I could preach for the rest of the year out of just this section of scripture and preach a different sermon every time and not have to backtrack on things I've already said, right? Because the word of God is, is so deep. I had a pastor one time describe to me that the Bible, any verse in the Bible is like if you're digging and you find gold, most people would take the gold and stop. But with the Bible, when you take the gold, you're actually supposed to keep digging in the same spot because there's more lower. And then when you get there and he says that there would be eight, nine, or ten treasure troves if you just kept going and kept understanding you know, there are people that get full doctrines, and they, like, full doctorates, they spend 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, there's a guy that wrote a book that after, he's, his book is after studying Jeremiah for 50 years, here's the book. And it's like, how did you not get bored for 50 years? Because for 50 years, there was stuff there. Amen? And he calls it the, he calls it the near exhaustive, he goes, because I'm sure I miss things. It's really cool, right? The Bible's so And there's so much there and there really is an answer for whatever it is that we're going through personally in the Bible. But I really do believe most of our issues can fall back and land on the I don't really know who I am. And so those of you who were here last week, you can say, no, but I'm beloved. Right? And so often we say, well, I don't know what God's called me to be. He's called you to be beloved. No, but I mean, has He called me to be a prophet or a pastor? Who cares? He's called you to be beloved because someone who understands that they're beloved will naturally prophesy over those in need and will naturally pray healing over those who are sick and will naturally pastor those who are lost and will naturally teach those who don't know because forget your call and your gift. Recognize the gift given to you, which is Jesus, right? And so if we stop seeing this world from what can I do, and we see it from who I am, right? I'll naturally do out of who I am, but I won't naturally become just because I want something. Does that make sense? All right. Then he said, he's Jesus, by the way. Very exciting. Uh, A certain man had two sons. Uh, We're going to talk about both sons, and um, sorry, I I got excited and got ahead of myself. Um, I want to talk today with these two sons. Aspects in the Bible where the Bible says, like, you're an heir of God. Well, that means you're a son, right? You're adopted? Well, that means you're a son, right? I, okay, I don't know what that was. Okay, <laughs> that was awesome. I don't know what happened. Um, so, so, uh, but I want to say that there are five points in the, that both of these sons missed five points of sonship. And a five actual ways that Jesus is low-key telling us definitions of sonship in brackets. And I will hit them today. Uh, and a certain man had two sons. How many sons? Two. Just making sure you're here. The three of you that are here, I appreciate it. Uh, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them, to them, Notice how the older son was affected by the younger son's sin. Community is important. But be careful who you commune with. Be intentional with community. Amen? Something I say a lot, but let's just point it out again. If you show me your five closest friends, I'll show you where you'll be in five years. And if you show me your five closest friends, I could show you what God's called you to be most times, right? And we know that it was covered last time that when he said, Father, give me the goods, he was basically saying, Dad, you're dead to me. And in that culture, that's the biggest stab to the heart you could give your family because in a culture like this, which is so family oriented, disowning your family is like, it's the chief of sins in their community, you know? Like, you'll notice that when Mary had Jesus, they called him the, you know, they, they actually called Jesus a bastard at one point in the story. And, and they actually would attack his mother if you read the scripture. Why? Because when she had a kid, it affected the whole family. And, and, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of judgments and people, is this not Jesus? They know who he is. Why? Because of the scandal that was his birth. Right. And so the way we handle community in this kind of culture is a big deal. So when these people who are listening, which are tax collectors, which are Pharisees, which are Jews who know the law, when he says this, their ears are going to peek up in ways that maybe ours don't. Right. Because I can walk up and ask my father for 10 bucks. And that's not like saying I'm, I'm done with you. But what he's saying is, hey, give me give me the portion of your will. And just cut me out of your will. I'm going to take that part of the will and leave and just cut me out. We're done, right? But he divided to them, and we see the older son's actually being affected um, by this. Verse 13, it it gives you a little insight because people always get mad about the older son. Like, why wasn't he so forgiving? Well, I mean, he got hurt in this exchange too. Like, don't forget that. Like, amen. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. It's oh, so funny. All right. Next verse. Let's just keep rolling. Uh, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Um, the father in the story represents God, and anything you desire outside of God will always inevitably dry up. Amen? Even if it looks beautiful for the how many years that he was in his thing right? And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. All right, so in Jewish culture, being joined to a non-Jew is a big no-no, you are forsaken. You're actually not allowed to back in the community after that. And thing two is he's now ceremoniously unclean, and so what he did by joining himself to a citizen, he made himself unworthy to the people, and by involving himself with swine, he made himself unworthy before God. Right, and so this story, he's not just cutting off his family, he's cutting off his God. He's clean severing all relationships from all things Jewish. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. You know, if you cut off your entire family and you know that you're being ostracized from the community... I I firmly believe, and I think this is true, something to talk about. It's it's something I didn't intend on preaching about, but it just hit me now. Um, You know that means he probably had friends, people he knew he could fall back on and lean on. And they're not there. Right? Look, the people that pull you from church are the same people that will leave you when things fall apart. Because they want the you that church made you into, let's face it, and they don't want the you that's separated from God. Amen? Amen? Um, But he came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I don't like the way that's worded. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I I, I wouldn't say that. And I perish with hunger. That's a great verse. Someone take a picture. Hunger. (laughs) Hunger. Next verse, and I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which is true, unless you have a good dad. Um, Make me like one of your hired servants, because I know I'm not welcome back in the family. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion. I want to point something out. There are two sections of the scripture that imply the father knew the son was coming home. And the first is that he was already looking for the son's return. Because the story may be about a regular father, but it's implying our God. And when we come home, it's not like a shock to God. He was always waiting. And truthfully, he was always with us and watching over us. Amen. Um, His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. And kissed him. So it's another word verse to have on the screen. And kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And there's more to the thing, right? Remember, he practiced what he was going to say. And now I'm no longer worthy to become your son, so can I be a hired servant? And before he can get to that, the father said to his servants, Bring out our best robe and put him on him and put a ring on his hand. Uh, what is the best robe in the house? It's the father's robe. That's a picture of Jesus just kind of snucked away in there, right? And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, as we pointed out, that, that ring would be the signet ring, which would give him the right to make decisions for the family. So he's not just welcome back into the family. He's welcome back in with all the perks again. There's no process when coming to God. You just come in. Amen. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Okay, so you know what's funny? Uh, my whole life, I've always just read fatted calf, and I just assumed they would go out into the crowd and just find the fattest calf and bring it in. I uh, found out in this study, whole life, just read over that verse, a fatted calf was specifically prepared. And I, I don't know why I never processed that. I, you know, there's these things you just read over, and I've read the Bible for years, and I've never noticed that. So this just wasn't a calf that was going to be eaten. This was a calf that was prepared for the son's return. Right? This calf was set apart beforehand to be at the celebration of the son coming home. Amen? The second thing, and I didn't know that. I read it in my commentary, and I was like, what? And I started looking into it. I was like, oh, my God, like, duh. But, like, I never noticed. Um, <laughs> and killed it. And let us eat and be merry. Uh, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So dead. Dead. But alive again, that's a show of salvation. But it's not just a show of salvation. If you look into this group, Jesus is predominantly talking to two people. There are tax collectors and there are Pharisees. And and, and the Pharisees knew God. So he's not calling them the dead men here. He's talking to the tax collectors. And he's saying the dead can now come in because the tax collectors are rejected from society because they're they're, for, they're taking on the Roman government and stealing from their Jewish family. They got cut off. That's why he's telling this story. There's a lot of good applications into our life, but why is Jesus saying what he's saying here? He's saying tax collectors and Pharisees, you guys are brothers under God. And you both have a way home, because notice, That when the tax collector decided to start taking money, the older brother got messed with too. Because the Pharisees have been hurt by the tax collectors. Jesus is actually calling reconciliation. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. This is the Pharisee. And he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Now, Here's a pause real quick. We talk in the Bible about how Jesus will forgive all sins and we say that no matter how bad you've fallen, no matter how much you've messed up, Jesus will show up to you. And then preachers and, and, and regular people grab the microphone and they talk about how God hates religion and he hates religious people. But Jesus is coming out to him also. God didn't run out for one son. In the story, he actually ran out to both. Because actually, it doesn't matter your sin. God's going to show up to you. And just like that kid who slipped into his major struggle and he's back on his drugs and he's back with those girls and God's going to show up to him, he'll also show up to you who sits here and judge that person. And he'll walk in and say, hey, I love you too. You can also come in and enjoy the party also. You don't have to sit there and be unhappy and be miserable and hate church. You can actually come in and enjoy the fact that there's freedom in this place. He's talking to both groups. Therefore, the father came out, listen, and he pleaded with him. Listen, if Jesus is telling a parable and saying, I'm speaking to the Pharisees now, and we look at Jesus hated the Pharisees, I hear people preach that, but the Father's pleading with the Pharisees in this moment. He's not mad. He's meeting them. Because it doesn't matter your sin. Not even the sins the church hates. He loves them too. Now if we apply that verse, what does the church hate nowadays? Abortion? Well, God's there for her, too, who committed the abortion, and he's there for the doctor as well. People are preaching against homosexuality, and I'm not saying these things aren't sins. They are, but God's there for them, too, and regardless of your sin, he's going to come out to you. Now, you do have to let go of things to come in, that's for sure, But it doesn't mean he's not walking to you. It doesn't mean he's not running to you. There is no one in this world who's so lost that God will not show up to them. What about the unpardonable sin? That is to not know God. So dying without knowing Jesus, therefore you weren't a son anyway. He will show up to anyone. And we've got to stop picking our sins that are bad. And we've got to recognize that God will show up to them too. Okay, and he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. And can I tell you something? I've prayed that prayer mad because God didn't show up how I wanted. But God, I've done what you've asked me to do. And if you've ever prayed that prayer, you're outside the party. (laughs) But here's the thing, and people say, well, then God just doesn't hear the religious people. No, he's going to walk out and plead with them. Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. Because it's not the laws that make you saved, it's the heart that makes you saved. And here's the truth, you may have never transgressed my commandments, but you never had the heart to come in. And you, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Well, God, how come when they pray, they get, there's a healing? God, how come I'm struggling with finances and they got blessed with a check? They don't even know you, but I do. You have not because you ask not. And they're getting something handed to them because they're still in process. But you know God. And it's time to send your hand out and say, because I'm a son, I know you'll hand to me. But God isn't babysitting certain Christians anymore. I really believe he's teaching us to walk on our own. And he goes, you want it? Come on in. The door is open to you. But this guy who doesn't know, I'll run and walk him in. Because you're grown up now. Because you know God now. Because you know him better than that. Which one are you? Here's the thing. The guy that's running in. The guy who has to walk in on his own, there's maturity. He has the right to take a goat at any time. The younger son doesn't. He doesn't know. So do you want to be someone who doesn't know so God has to baby you? Or do you want to be someone who's so close to God that he stops just telling you what to do and he lets you know him so well that you ask for things in his will and you begin to walk in your call as a mature man or woman of God? Until we recognize we're sons, we won't just reach out and ask. And and I'm almost curious if when things got divided up, if at that point the older son stopped considering himself a son because I also got my inheritance. But as soon as this son of yours came, because you may have accepted him back, but he's not my brother. He has come and devoured your livelihood with harlots. He still had him in. And killed the fatted cat. And you killed the fatted cat for him. Because God is good. I've seen a picture on the internet of a little kid in heaven. And Jesus is with him. And he's like, oh, look, there's Abraham. And oh, look, there's Joshua. And oh, look, there's the guy that raped and killed your family. And, and Christians say, is that the kind of Christianity you want? I'm like, yes. Yes, that's the kind of Christianity we want where the worst of the worst can find salvation and can grow and get to know their God. And maybe they don't have to be the worst of the worst anymore. And maybe they can walk into those fields and those places where people have said, they're too dirty. We can't go there. We might get dirty with them. But instead, there's, you know what? If you're too afraid to go, I came from there and I'll go back and pull people out, right? But see, that's a mature son. Who knows what they can walk in? Amen? Son, you were always with me. And all that I have is yours. I think I said that earlier and got excited. I was going to say everything I said about that was there. Just pull it. And it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Uh, Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for these last 20 minutes and 34 seconds, Father God, that they would be anointed, that they would be blessed, they would have a good time, and that, God, we would leave knowing that we are your children, God, that we, are a sons, that we are sons and daughters of you, God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the right that he has given us through the, his shed blood, Lord. And I thank you, God, that we're going to walk free, and we're going to walk knowing who we are, God. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. Um, I, I, I've talked about this a few times um, in my life. Um, I, when I was growing up as a kid, I was really into, like, art and stuff. And, and the reason I was into art, because I, I tell you, ever since I was a little kid, my greatest passion has always been storytelling. You know, I always, I got into art so I could draw comics. I got into music because, I mean, come on, have you ever had the experience that song that's so beautiful you cry? Because it told a story to you, right? And so I got into music because of that. And I got the heck, I started preaching <laughs> uh, when I was a little kid because I would go and I would knock on doors all in my cul-de-sac in my neighborhood, and I would get all the kids, and I would, I would have them sit in my front lawn, and I'd get up on our, our front porch, and I would, like, tell stories. And the kids would come, and they'd listen, and I would eventually, I'd get, like, toy guns and toy stuff, and I'd hand it to them, and I'd have them, like, act out the stories. Right? So I've been doing this since I was a little kid um, because I've always loved storytelling. Um, and I was always told... By certain people in my life, um, will find a side job you want to do because that kind of stuff won't pay the bills. And so far, they're right. Um, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sorry, that was that wasn't encouraging at all. But so far, it's it's been a fact. Uh, but but like you know, I, I I had a dad that always told me, no, you could do it, right? And, and so I have a little sister, and I'm not saying she can't now. Uh, But when she was younger, she used to not be able to hold a note. Like, you know, she used to not be able to sing, like at all. Um, And so she would sing, and it wasn't in key. You know, like you're in the other room, and you think someone's gutting the cat. You realize you don't have a cat, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. So you round the corner, and it's your sister. But she sang with such confidence. Because dad would always tell her, you sound amazing. My little brother Jonathan really believes in, he believed in his art, which is funny because now he sings. Um, but when he was a kid, it was all about art. He would draw. He would paint. Um, see, he would actually draw on paper. When I was a kid, I'd draw on the walls and get in trouble. Like, I like, I look and I'm like, see, it's so much easier. Like, I used to go behind the doors in the house and I would, like, draw pictures so that when you opened, you couldn't see them. You know? Um, I, I don't know. I just... I've always been a little crazy, and I'm worried because she's pregnant, and like, I know what I have coming to me. <laughs> you know, like, I know what I deserve, and I'm like, oh, God, but God is good, and he's going to give me, it's grace is him giving me the things I don't deserve. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so my little brother would draw these amazing pictures, and then one time, he painted a picture, and he told dad, oh, yeah, I'm going to sell my painting. And dad's like, oh, how much is it? And he's like, oh, it's going to be a dollar. And so my dad Went into his wallet, pulled out a dollar, and he bought Jonathan's painting with his paper that he bought and the pencils that he bought. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so he really encouraged us to believe. But, like, the the, the drawback of believing so hardcore is that you will shout your song, which isn't great, and, and you will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you, yeah. And so little Jonathan, he started drawing this big picture. And I'm when I say big, I'm like, like on computer paper big, like not that big, you know? And so then he started getting computer papers and he would like get a bunch of different drawings and then he, he he went and got made price tags. And like, and he hung it and like this one was $500 and this one was $300 and we're like, all right bro, like it ain't, it ain't that good. And the crazy thing is like the confidence of, oh, I'm gonna sell this for $500 because he was so believed in. But then like it comes crashing down when he showed my dad and he's like, can I have $500? And dad's like, no, like, I'm going to buy that for 500 bucks. And I remember Jonathan was like actually offended. My little brother was actually like, what? I worked like 10 minutes on this. Like, you know, like if only it was that easy, right? Because um, if it worked, that would have been a lucrative business and I would have gone in on it. Um, but like the confidence that me and my siblings got just from having a, a father who would breathe such a life. And who really believed in us. But then again, his big dream was that he was going to sell music someday. You know, so it's like, and his dream came because his dad believed in what he was doing. Uh, my dad always tells the story of my papa before he passed away when my dad was younger. He says that uh, they were really poor. And, uh, like, he, he tells a story and he always cries when he tells it. Because he talks about how the one time he opened up a present and his dad had bought him, like, a, like a $1,000 guitar. And the reason why he says that was so crazy because when he looks at his dad, like the gla- their, his glasses were held together by duct tape. Um, their clothes had holes in them. They were living in a small one-bedroom apartment. And instead of paying, they, they believed in his dream. Right? And it created a confidence in him to go out and do those things. And, and really, when I think of my papa and, and my dad like that, that rem- you know, the Bible says that Jesus Jesus took on poverty that through his poverty, we may be made rich. And I look back to my papa wearing his duct tape glasses, paying for something that he can't afford. And I'm reminded when I think of that story, when Jesus says, you good fathers, so not the bad ones. If you've had a bad father, just think of the best father in the world, the one you wish you had. And he says, you good fathers would want to give good things to your son. So how much more will your heavenly father give you? And I don't think people embrace it like that. We talk about how we have to embrace God like that, but we don't really embrace God like that. Because I mean, when is the last time nothing was gonna work out and you really believed you made no backup plans and you really believed God was just a good father, so he was just gonna show up? I wanna read you three verses, pretty well back to back. And then we'll go into my little five points of excitement. Uh, My three verses, totally don't remember the three. uh, Oh, I usually remember my notes. Not this time, I'm sorry. Uh, The first one is John chapter one, verse 22. And then they said to him, who are you that you may give us answers? I gave the wrong verse. La, 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 la. That was me trying to buy time, and it didn't work. Okay, um, when I told Mark John one twenty two, I meant to tell him John one twenty two. I don't know what happened. Whatever verse this is, uh, but as many, but as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. It's 12. You're right. John 1, 12. All right, so John 1, 12. Um, <laughs> but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So the people who received Jesus got the right to be called children of God, right? So if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. That's, that's it. Final answer. There's a Period. It's not a period, but whatever, same thing, right? And the next verse (laughs) is Galatians 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. But I'm a daughter of God. Well, not according to this verse. Um, And then Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit is the sign that you are his kid, right? And and when we deal with situations in life, we need to deal with them as if we're the son of a king. Forget it. We need to deal with them as if we're the son of a creator, right, for what that creates. But I want to tell you that these these sons had missed it at five points. And, And the first, we see the son, he really believed, he genuinely believed he could lose his sonship. And that's just not God. I love the way Michael Green puts it. Michael Green has a quote that I love so much. He said, Jesus wasn't just a different kind of a man. He was a different kind of God. And how all of world and all of the creation and everything that people had had thought up and all these gods and all these pantheons, there are none so good as Jesus that he will just die for you. And that's why that Christmas song of how many kings stepped down from his throne, why he can sing that song confidently? Because in, in the world, there's not any type of God that ever did those things for us. Gandhi goes on record of saying, I hate your Christians, but I love your Christ. And Gandhi, who was very much not a Christian, would say that he thinks the cross is the greatest show of love across the entire world. He says, there is no belief, there is no philosophy, and there is no teaching that shows a greater love than the cross of Jesus Christ. So even non-Christians look at Jesus, if they're being honest, and go, this is too good to be true. And the son could feel that. It was so good to be true that he really didn't believe that he could really still be the son of God after he messed up like he messed up. After he went back to what he went back to. There's no way I can come back home. But if we go to this next scripture. Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out Abba Father. Hold that up real quick. Um, so a lot of times Christians come up on stage. and It's getting kind of popular where like da- they'll like call they call God daddy. And like there's like a half of the room that thinks oh that's so awesome. And the other half of the room thinks this is kind of uncomfortable. Um, and... and, and and if you look in the Bible, God is only ever referred to like that, like Abba, like Daddy, like twice. But both those times make it a fact. You know, and when you understand, like, the reason why it would make you uncomfortable to think of God in that way is because you haven't embraced your childness to him yet. Because, see, an older jaded person thinks the word Daddy's almost taboo and awkward. But a younger kid just thinks it's something I call my dad because he's going to take care of me. It's a show of endearment. And we can't let our hurts come into our relationship. But we do. And that's why he'll meet us outside and walk us in. Right? Uh, But interesting fact, in Jewish culture, they really didn't have rules for adoption. Uh, Adoption wasn't really a thing in the Jewish culture. Um, It was very rare. And it was very uncommon. However, in the Roman culture, adoption was so commonplace it was kind of weird. Like, they're, they had laws upon laws upon laws of what adoption could be. And so, if you look, this book is called Romans, <laughs> right? Uh, Paul wrote a letter to a church in Rome. He's predominantly talking to Roman people, so he speaks to them their language, which is why, by the way, in other books, when it doesn't reference you as adopted, it just references you as just a son, it's because they're writing to Jews who don't really have a concept of adoption, Right? And so that's why the analogies don't contradict because they're just dealing with you and helping you understand God the best you can. Cool thing about Roman, um, who's seen Ben-Hur? Have you guys seen that movie? I haven't. But I saw a clip of it the other day <laughs> because it was relevant to my sermon. And, um, and so in Roman culture, here's what would happen. Um, if a father owned a lot of things and either A, didn't have a son or B, didn't trust his son to run his stuff, he would actually adopt. And so adoption in Roman culture was actually more commonly done in the age of 20s and 30s. So 20s and 30-year-olds were getting adopted, not kids on the street, right? But what they would do is these people, when they got adopted, your old name was completely erased. And so you could not, your debts got canceled. Your... Your last, literally, you couldn't even go by your last name anymore. So if you had, like, literally, if there was a warrant out for your arrest and someone was chasing you down and someone adopted you, they could not legally arrest you anymore. You were just free. Adoption's awesome (laughs) in that culture. And so when God is, when Paul is saying to you, you have a spirit of adoption, he's saying everything you've done before Jesus is wiped away. But here's the other rule with Roman culture. And there's another little rule here, by the way. If you believe you can lose your salvation, I'm coming for you right now. Um, in Roman culture, um, you can disown your children, but if you adopt a son, it's for life. And you cannot disown the child. You have to take care of the child. You have to uh, pay for the child. And that child, listen, even if he wasn't your oldest, when you adopt him, he has to receive the, the rules of the oldest person. So when you, you don't adopt a second-born. When you adopt a kid, it's like you have two sons, well, he's number one now. That's how Roman culture worked, right? And so when adopt, when he says you have the spirit of adoption, he's saying like literally everything that was Christ's is now yours. You cannot lose what's been given to you. God can't take it back. Amen? Ben Hur, I almost forgot, and I totally wouldn't have gone back to it, and it would have been that weird thing in the sermon that I was like, why Ben Hur? Um, there's a character in Ben Hur who actually, if you watch the movie now, there's actually a point in the movie where one of the characters adopts another one. And when he announces it, he announces, he says, he says, new home, new names, new dad. It's a direct quote that the guy says in the movie, right? And that's what he's saying. This kid was a, like, the character was a slave, I guess. And so this slave is now made free. And the fact is another person owned him, but he can't anymore because he's been adopted. <laughs> Even the fact that someone else legally owned me, they can't because I'm a new person now. You so become a new person. So when the Bible says that you were sons of wrath, an awkward verse in the Bible for us, when it says that we were, we, were, we were held and we were bound by spirits of the air and things like that, the whole point is, yes, you were a slave to that, but now you're adopted. That old name is wiped away and nothing, they can't own you anymore because now you're the son of the king. Amen? And and so when we look at, we see that when he says, your Abba, Father, this son thought, really thought he was going to work, but he didn't know the character of his dad, which you don't have to work to be in my home. I took you in, and I will not push you out. Amen? And so write this down. A child of God carries a spirit of adoption. And, And understand when I say carries a spirit of adoption, I'm meaning those things I just said right? Your past cannot hold you anymore. What you receive is as the eldest son, uh, which by the way, in in Roman culture, unfortunately, um, because it makes modern preaching a little awkward, uh, they they could not do this with a a female. Um, But if you actually look in the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that I've made this joke a few times. Uh, Those of us who are men, we have to deal with the awkward truth that the Bible calls us a bride of Christ. You know, uh, those of you who are women, you have to understand the Bible actually calls you the eldest son, right? And it doesn't mean that God sees you as a boy or sees me as a girl. It just means there's a certain understanding that culture has of that. And, and we all know what, what kind of responsibilities in the old world eldest children had. Right. He's saying, you're the eldest son, you're getting all of these amazing things, but then it's the bride of Christ, so you're being brought into my home. And so, yeah, you know, we all got our thing we have to look at and go, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, I don't want to be someone's bride, personally, uh, but, but I am. You know, so it's like, here we are. Um, but let's keep moving. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, you are carrying the spirit of adoption. Now, when we see the son as a far way off, the father comes to the son, right? And the son tries to explain what he needs, and the father doesn't care, and he gives him more than he wanted. Right? And so next thing for you guys to write in your thing is a, a child of God is dependent on God. So in this, I'm going to get mine, I'm a strong, independent person, in that kind of culture, we have a hard time seeing God this way because the Bible says that we're supposed to be totally dependent on him, and even though the son was running home, the father would go and meet him and give him more than he can ask, think, or imagine. If we go to the book of James chapter one, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of. Is that the end? Burning. All right. Um <laughs> right, and so when it says he's the father of lights, it could mean one of two things. Uh thing one is it could mean that you know, all good like, lights could represent all good things, like goodness, like purity, like holiness. And so he's the father of those things and from that he reigns down. Or it could also be a reference back to creation when God made the, the great the great lights of the sky. So he's the father of creation. But either way, it's preaching the same point of since he made all these things and all these things come from him, no matter how hard we worked for something, you could work really hard for something and God doesn't give it to you. And you could be like a Mary and lay at the feet of Jesus and he pours down on you. And so the trick is though some people work really hard and God gives it to them. And so we lose appreciation for what God has handed us. right? And so we, we can't be so lazy that we don't work for something. But we can't work so hard that we think it was all us. Right? A child of God is dependent on God. And the second we look like, oh, I didn't pray for these things. I didn't ask God for these things. I just worked for them." Well, you're missing an aspect of sonship. And you're working so hard for something that God probably either didn't want for you or would have given you a lot easier. But either way, take a deep breath. God is good. And we're called to be dependent upon him. And my desire is to come home, but he's going to meet me and walk me in, right? And so we have to recognize God like that. Uh, Thing three, if we're going, a child of God is an heir of righteousness. Let's go to that next verse. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen? Amen. Just says it right there. What does that mean? Well, remember I tell you in the story, when the, when the son runs home, the dad puts the ring on his finger and he puts the robes on him, right? And what he's saying is you're going to get all the things that Christ has. So the Bible wouldn't just say you're an heir. It would say you're a joint heir, as in you and Christ get both. I referenced that scripture earlier where it says that Jesus became He took on poverty so that through his poverty we may have riches. It's a reference back to what he... he, We are heirs of Christ. We're not just children. We're not just sons and daughters. We're heirs and we're called to receive. Now, here's the thing. I am not... Hear me. I am not one of those people that's really big on name it and claim it. Right? I'm not thinking you can go out in your streets and you can say, Oh, I got my Bentley in the name of Jesus. I'm not big on that. However... Hebrews chapter 1 says that Christ through God became the heir of all things. And so if I'm a joint heir with Christ, am I not too an heir of all creation? And so this is where it gets, the waters get a little muddy on that, that theology because no, actually, I think most Christians are almost criminally doing less than they can before God. And we actually are walking and we have a lot less than we could before God. And I think the reason is because we've, we've been so afraid of the name it and claim it group that we've stopped claiming. But the Bible still says we can because we're heirs of righteousness and we're heirs in the things that Christ has. Stop being afraid to ask God to bless you. Just make sure your heart is, I want to get blessed to be a blessing. I'm not not asking to be blessed so I can be comfortable. I'm asking to be blessed so I can still be uncomfortable while I bless others, but at least I have something to bless them with, right? Uh, Because uh, the next step is a child of God is predestined for inheritance. Remember, I already kind of gave this away a little bit. When the son runs home and he says, get the fatted calf. And the father had already set aside things for the son to receive. And so as we jump into our next section of scripture, which is Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It makes me so happy. It's like my favorite part of preaching today. Um, it's just like God. God is good. We're children of God. He's going to bless us. But this, these scriptures, I love them. Oh, it makes me happy. All right, um, but okay. Let's go back real quick. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will um so i'm I'm actually hitting a few things that maybe are a little awkward to talk about but no god from the beginning of time just like with this son has already set aside good things for you because but i believe in free will okay i don't really care uh whether you care about free will or predestination we can all agree that god knows all things right so if you have free will he knows what you're gonna pick Right? And if you don't have free will, then he already knew what was going to happen. I don't. Really, but the point is, we're jumping to the future, and we look at God. God has already set things aside for your good pleasure. He's already set things aside to take care of you. And he's already set things aside to bless you. And I think most Christians don't really believe that. And it's because we don't embrace that we're children of God. Look, if your child, regardless of what they've done to you, regardless of how they'd hurt you, regardless of what they spit on you in the face, if they're in need, you're going to show up. Right? People who are Parents, you're gonna show up anyway because it doesn't matter how they've acted. It doesn't change the fact that I'm a father, right? And it doesn't change the fact that I'm a son. I I remember a story Perry Noble tells and I absolutely love it. He talks about his daughter who threw up in her crib at night. I think I've told this before and he walks into her room at night and he looks down and looks in. He looks down and looks in at the crib and she's covered in throw up. It's a good time, right? Aaron, you can come up, make me more anointed because I'll keep going. Um covered in throw-up, and he, he talks about how he doesn't look at her covered in her vomit and say, clean yourself up, then I'll pick you up right? He doesn't look at her covered in her mess and say, you know, once you've done the right thing, once you're clean, once you've you know cleaned up your crib and changed your clothes, then I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to hold you. No, he says, I picked her up, throw up and all, and I carried her to the bathroom. He says, because I'm her dad and I'm bigger than that. And we have to start seeing God that way. He's not waiting for you to clean up before he'll carry you. He's going to pick you up, mess and all, and he's going to walk you into his good pleasure, his kingdom. And there's blessings for you now that you don't have to wait until you're cleaned up to receive because God actually does love you and he actually does have a heart for you and the Bible says that he really ready the Bible says he watches us while we sleep right? But it's a, it's a blessing. My wife looked at me the other day and she goes, I think our kid's going to be so handsome. And I was like, if, if he looks like you, probably. And she goes, no, I was watching you sleep. I'm a creep. And she's like, I was watching you sleep and I was looking at how handsome you are. And I was like, that's right. Like, but like, it's such a good, right? So she, her face, her cheeks are red. She didn't want me to tell you that. Um, but the point is, right? That is actually how the Bible describes God watching over us. I remember watching friends oh we're <laughs> not talking about jesus anymore and, and and one of the characters has a kid and they and then the episode just ends when the credits are rolling with like them all circled around the kid but it's like a camera so you just see their faces and they're just like oh he's so cute while he sleeps and like it's just like 30 seconds of just silence as they're just staring at the camera because they're watching the kid sleep and they're like oh it's so adorable and it's like that's how god is He watches over us. He loves us because we're his kid. And and it's funny, when you get up and you preach about sin, I feel like most people sit back and they'll receive those messages well because there's a weird part of us that likes being told that we suck. And we say we don't like it, but if someone comes in and says, hey, Jesus just loves you, you're like, where's the meat? And so what we've done is, because we focused on the bad, where we've come from, the fact that we're the prodigal son, we've lost sight of who we actually are. So much so, that we don't like hearing messages just, hey, God loves you, because that's not deep enough. But the Bible says, the meat of the word is doing the will of the Father. And so messages aren't supposed to be deep you're supposed to take them and run out into the world and that's deep right Um, if we shift our perspective to the oldest son I already talked about it a little bit but a child of God is already forgiven Thomas used to make a joke that would make me laugh when Jesse was still pregnant he would say I'm so excited to spank my son He would. (laughs) And he would do this thing where he's like, oh, I'm so excited for it. Right? And like, that's the thing between him and God. Uh, But like, but like, (laughs) but he'd already decided my son's gonna do things that were wrong. I'm gonna punish him for it. But I'm so excited to have a kid. And so when Jesus died on the cross for you, he died knowing where you would fall and where you would suffer and where your sins would happen. God accepted you into his home knowing that you still weren't going to live like you were supposed to when you were in the home. And he took you in anyway. Because he loves you and because you matter. And, and, And if I can be so bold as to make this modern, the story ends with one of the sons outside... But still recognizing he's a son. I I know I'm your son, but I can't celebrate. And I think that's what happens to a lot of Christians. I, I think the temptation for Christians is to not fully commit to being a child of God. So I'm a child of God enough to go to heaven, but not enough to go experience what God's doing. See, I'm a child of God enough that I I know that no matter how bad I am, I'm still gonna be in heaven someday. But but not enough to really believe that if my finances are struggling, he'll show up. Right? I'm a child of God enough to come into church and worship and go home. But I'm not a child enough to fall on my face and cry before my God. Right? And and we have to transition and know that God will come out and walk and talk with you, but it's time to walk in. Did you know that in Christianity the gifts are still alive? And, and did you know in Christianity that prophecy is still a thing? And, and did you know in Christianity that during worship God actually sits in the presence of His people? And, and did you know that in Christianity God will still fill you with His Holy Spirit? And do you know that in Christianity, when you go out and and you cry out and you pray for people who are hurting and broken, do you know God will actually still heal them? And, And we say yes, and I'm glad that you say yes, but now think of when's the last time I saw it? Because if it's been a long time, I don't mean to hurt your feelings or make you leave here discouraged, but if this is the party, I'm still here saying it looks fun in there. And I think so many of us don't even realize we haven't experienced the greatness of God fully yet. Because the Bible says that you can't even ask, think, or imagine for what God has for you. And we, But that's, that's it. We say amen. We get so excited. But are you experiencing that? Let's come in. Let's pray for each other let's believe for each other let's look at our problems and actually tell them my dad can beat up your dad right let's actually tell them yeah no no problems actually you want me to tell God how big you are but, but let me tell you something he, he's alpha and omega He's beginning in the end. I, my bill, God, my bills are so bad. No, look at your bills and say, he's Jehovah Jireh. The Bible says he's your provider. And I know that sometimes that makes us uncomfortable because it can't be that easy. But did you read the story? He just brought him in and it was just that easy. And I really think it's a mindset issue, not a practical issue. It's a identity issue. Because parents give good things to their kids and so if you're not receiving good things then you're not walking as a kid you have every right to ask because when that older son says you didn't give me a goat he says, what I had was yours he said yeah I didn't give you a goat because you could have walked in and taken it now how do we translate that God, you never use me to heal anymore. Well, because I don't need to go to you and say, oh, go pray for that person. You just need to go pray for them now. Your next step with God will be in taking a step. And if he has to guide you and string you along in every little thing, then you'll never learn to be mature or grown and be a child that can be trusted with the kingdom. And the Bible says it was God's great pleasure to give us the kingdom. To give us to walk in in its fullness. I want to encourage you guys to pray more and actually have the audacity to believe that God will move. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. Oh, Intercessory team, will you come up, please? I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray that you would bless them. God, that we would recognize in sonship who we are before you. That, God, we are children of you. That we are beloved. That, God, you breathed out for us. That, God, you died for us so that we could inherit your kingdom. And, God, I thank you that you take joy and great pleasure in giving good things from above. Father, God, we trust you and we depend on you. And, God, I pray that like children we'd have the confidence to believe that you're just going to move in our lives, Lord. And in Jesus' name I say. Amen. Uh, listen, if you need prayer, um, one, two, three. You're you when to come on up. Um, Elder Andrea, if you want to roll up too. I want to get a few more people on this. Uh, Teacher Thomas, will you, will you come up and pray? Um, I'll, get prayer. Get prayer about that thing that you never get prayer for. Get prayer about that thing that you have figured out. Amen? It's real easy to call it faith, to not ask for prayer. And I think Christians do that. But be honest. Because I want to see big things around here. I, I want to see healings around this place more often. I, wanna, I actually want to believe in prophecy and see it happening in this place. I, you know, it doesn't happen to me very often, but I like when people fall out. I I like when people go on their face and cry before God during worship. I love seeing the breakthrough in the lives of others. And I feel like we get so bound and so ashamed to give God our all. And and I want to welcome you. Start doing that. Let let this church, let the Boulevard Church be the place where you can give your all. And you can look like an idiot. And people are just going to encourage you for it. Amen. I love you guys.